Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated, and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Malk, and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as writer, columnist, publicist, TV addict, web nerd, radio voice, and gun for hire. Missing New York. Love drag queens. Jack White once talked to me on the internet. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words, in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's addition to the Humans of Twitter list, Petra Stark. Hello, how are you? Oh, look, Petra, I'm doing exceedingly well. In social settings, how do you introduce yourself? Well, firstly, I'm going to be one of those annoying people and pick you up on some pronunciation. So Please. you would think that my last name is Stark, but but actually it's Starky. Um, I don't know why at some point somebody in the, the German, deep German side of my family tree decided that it wasn't Stark anymore, it was Starky. So so Petra Starky is me. Um, yes. How I introduce myself at parties, probably just, hi, I'm Petra. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> Do you know, it's so funny, like, listening to you read out that Twitter description of me because it's, it's just so, there's, like, so many things that I've thrown in there and trying to fit it in in 140 characters. When people then say to you in those settings, so what do you do? You don't just unload your Twitter bio. What do you tell them that you do? No, that would be weird if I did that, wouldn't it? <laughs> particularly, particularly the bit about just announcing that Jack White talked to me on the internet one time. Um, well, I mean, I, I, I sort of foremost, uh, first and foremost, I sort of say that I'm a, a freelance writer or a freelance mm. journalist. That's, um, that's sort of what I do the bulk of my time and I guess it's what I'd, what I'd like to do more of. So, um, so that's sort of how I introduce myself. But also, as you've noted there, you know, in, in my Twitter bio, I, I also have publicist. So I do a bit of arts publicity as well. Um, it's all freelance. So I, I, I was a journalist full time um, at a News Corp publication here in Adelaide, um, mm. the Advertiser and the Sunday Mail dual publications um, for about 10 years up until sort of the end of 2013. And then I left there to go freelance. So since then, so about almost two years, coming up to the second year anniversary of that, um, I have been writing freelance articles. Um, I write a, a column for the advertiser every week. Um, and, uh, and as I said, I do freelance arts publicity. So working with um, South Australian, particularly South Australian, uh, arts companies like um, theatre companies and, and mm. film companies, that sort of thing, to promote the things that they do. So I like to say sometimes that like half of my time is taken up by writing about things and the other half is taken up by trying to get other people to write about things, <laughs> which is sort of the, the journo publicist split. <laughs> Do you find that journo publicist split is hard to maintain as a freelancer? Um, no. I mean, when I – it sort of all happened by accident, to be quite honest. When when I left the paper, I didn't have any plans really to, to do either. I, I didn't quit to go freelance. I sort of just mm. quit um, to find something else. And I sort of thought the best way to advertise yourself and, and to, to find a new – you know, new planes to search is is to quit and announce that you are now sort of footloose and fancy free. And it was through doing that that I um, sort of fell into freelancing and haven't really stopped. Um, so at the time I, I was sort of, um, I had a bit of a concern about, you know, how am I going to balance, um, you know, writing and journalism with also being a publicist. And I think, you know, depending on which uh, which fingers you have in which pies, I think you can be compromised, obviously, um, you know, crossing over those two boundaries. But I, I keep what I write about and what I promote very separate. Um, so I, I promote 
arts companies specifically, and mm. I would never write about them. So, um, you know, I, I like to sort of keep that ethical divide um, there. I, I would never, uh, you know, write a column, for example, in the advertiser about how great one of my clients is. I mean, that would just obviously be, you know, <laughs> off limits. Um, so, you know, I think it, I think the perception can be maybe a little bit, how can she possibly do both? Um, but, uh, but I think that, you know, as long as you um, keep a firm eye on where the boundaries are between the topics that you're dealing with on both sides of the fence, then, then it's doable. And I'm, I'm certainly not the, not the only one doing it either. In a crisis or an argument, are you fight or flight? Oh, this is such an interesting question because, you know, actually it was like a couple of years ago that I wrote a column about this specific thing because mm-hmm. I think until you're put into a situation where you have to be fight or flight, you don't actually know what your reaction's going to be. And sure. I have this funny story, one of my, a friend of mine, which I, always sends me into hysterics, I think it's so funny, that she, uh, she tells when she was um, accidentally scared, or not accidentally, her, her husband uh, scared her, pranked her on purpose, basically hid in the bushes and sort oh. of leapt out at her. <laughs> and uh, yes. she thought that he was somewhere completely else, you know, he'd set up this whole prank. Yeah. And her reaction that she, t- she told me, that her gut reaction was to stand there frozen to the spot and for some reason go dub 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 <laughs> which became like i don't i don't know where that came from and she doesn't either but that sort of became this hysterical point between the two of us that any time you were faced with a difficult situation you would just sort of go dub 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 <laughs> and i always thought it was so funny and i thought i would never do that if i was in that situation you know i'd i'd be a ninja and i'd i'd fight back or I'd, you know <laughs> like i'd yeah. handle myself but then um so then about a year ago or so i was driving um at night wasn't that late and a dog ran out on the road in front of me not in front of my car but in front of the car in front of me and the car mm. hit this dog and then and the dog sort of I mean it was horrific this dog yes. just bounced off the thing and sort of you know ran limping off the road and the car just sped off and kept going and other cars were trying to dodge it it was this kind of horrific sort of scene that just happened out of nowhere and I pulled over completely freaked out I just I couldn't I just couldn't keep on the road and I pulled over and sort of thought, well, I have to help this dog now, you know, got out of the car and tried to chase it and tried to work out what was going on. And I, and I was completely useless to be quite honest. Like I didn't do anything of any use to that dog. I traced it back to a, I traced it back to a house. I sort of saw where it went and ran up to this person's door and knocked on it. And it was sort of a, I think it must have been like a housing trust house or something. The guy inside was not particularly pleased to see me and didn't really seem to care that his dog had just been hit by a car and it was all a bit strange. And I sort of limped back to the car and felt very sort of stressed out and had to sit in the car for about 20 minutes before I could drive again. And that was just from seeing somebody else hit a, car, hit a dog. I, I mean, I hadn't even. So I think, you know, to cut a long story short, uh, I am more of a flight person than a flight <laughs> person. I think I'm a bit useless in a, in a high-pressure you know, a real like a, a risk situation like that. For your friend's response, the, I, the awkward things that, that happen to us or the things, that, you know, when, when we're in that crisis mode or, or, or flight mode or whatever, you know, that she froze and those sort of things, it sure beats the heck out of her punching whoever scared her and breaking their nose. I mean, that could have ended very poorly from a prank perspective. <laughs> Well, I mean, well, it could have been in hindsight given that it was her husband, but I don't know if that's necessarily like the worst reaction. I mean, what if it had been an intruder mm. or someone? I mean, I, just that actually just reminds me of another situation that I found myself in, which is 
which was in which I was also completely useless. I um, was in bed uh, late at night and I was sort of, you know, that half asleep dream state. And I looked over in the corner and I could see a man standing in the corner of my room wearing a hat. Mm -hmm. And I thought, and I was very, very still and the man was very, very still. And I thought, holy God, like, there's a man in my house. What am I going to do? And I started assessing the situation, like, what am I going to do? Because this guy is going to work out that I'm awake soon and then it's going to be on. So I was thinking, so actually I was quite calm and rational about it. Mm. Um, but I was thinking, you know, okay, my phone is just on the bedside table. If I reach for my phone, he's going to see that I'm awake and he's going to come and attack me. But if I don't reach for my phone, how am I going to get help? You know, what do I do? Are there any weapons around me? You know, so I'm assessing the whole room while lying there, just stock still sort of with my eyes half closed, trying to work Mm. out how to deal with this intruder. And eventually the (laughs) tactic that I landed on was to sit bolt upright in bed, turn the light on and yell, I probably can't say it on your podcast, but yell rude words, you know, what the (laughs) F are you doing? Get the F out of my room, you effing meffer. Uh, And when I turned the light on, I realised that actually it was just my jacket hanging on the edge of my clothes rack with a hat <laughs> sitting on top. And for it would have been a full five minutes while I was doing this risk assessment, I genuinely <gasps> thought it was a person. Oh, so, look, I don't know what that tells you about me, that, you know, I'm either completely stressed out and can't handle the situation or, or I'm, I'm so consumed by fear that I don't recognise that, you know, the man in my room is a jacket and a hat. <laughs> How long have you been a misdirected ninja? <laughs> Oh, sadly, I don't think I've ever been a ninja or even a misdirected ninja. But, you know, I do have this kind of fancy sort of view that if the zombie apocalypse ever happened, that I would really be able to deal with it really well. Like those two stories that I've just told you clearly paint a different picture. So I should probably (laughs) like probably pay attention to reality. But I do. I've got this sort of zombie fantasy that, you know, if the apocalypse ever came that I you know, I would, I'd be one of those cool characters in the movies that, you know, they fire up their iTunes on their phone or whatever and they, they, they set a kick-ass playlist and they grab a baseball bat and they just, you know, go around kicking zombies. So, so I don't know about Ninja, but I could be a zombie hunter. <laughs> I'd Look, I'd buy it. <laughs> what was school like for you? Uh, really kind of like uneventful and fine. Um, I I guess I was a bit of a model student, but I wasn't a nerd. I mean, I think I've always been a bit of a nerd in that, you know, with my interests and things, um, mm. but certainly not a nerd from the perspective of, you know, I didn't have any friends and, you know, I was really uncool. Like, I, I mean, I think I was pretty cool at school and um, I was friends with most, you know, most friendship groups I seemed to cross over. I was kind of one of those people, you know, where, you know, there's always the groups, there's the cool kids and then there's the the geeky kids and then there's the, you know, the sort of um, the delinquent kids, whatever. And I was sort of friends with everyone. And I was at the same school for like the whole time, primary school, high school. It was an all girls private school. Um, and I was head prefect oh, <laughs> in my final year. What was that you were saying about being a nerd? I know, I know. Maybe I'm. Maybe I should reassess. Maybe I was a massive nerd. Maybe everyone was just pretending to be friends with me. <laughs> really, oh I was gosh. super uncool. Um, but yeah, no, it was it was fine. I I enjoyed school actually. Were you involved in the arts at school? Yeah, well, certainly more than sciences or sport. Um, mm. was definitely only involved in sport when I had to be. 
um, PE or whatever, but um, I really did not like sport and endured sciences, although I quite, I didn't mind science so much. It was probably more maths, you know, so sort of that typical, um, unfortunately, the stereotypical female student, I suppose, but definitely yeah. arts was my bent and still is. Um, drama, I was a bit of a drama kid. Um, English was was a favourite of mine um, and languages I really enjoyed. I, I did French through high school and, and did it in year 12 and carried it on at university actually, only for first year. But, um, uh, but yeah, no, definitely arts was my thing. Have you used that French? Do you know I have actually? It's weird that it sort of stuck with me. I mean, I would, I'm obviously not, I'm not fluent at all and I wouldn't even, you know, say that I'm anywhere near fluent. But, um, and certainly I'm better at reading a comprehension of French than I am in any way of speaking it. Mm. Um, but I was on a holiday, went to holiday to, um, uh, to the Amalfi Coast in Italy a few years ago and part of that trip involved a trip to Corsica, which of course is owned by the French. And um, my boyfriend, who is Italian or of Italian descent, was ruling the trip all through Italy, <laughs> speaking Italian to everyone and being very impressive. And when we got to Corsica and I thought, right, here's my, you know, here's my chance uh, to, to be the cool traveller. And I actually, you know, I, w- I wasn't too bad. I did whip out a bit of French at some of the market stalls and was able to communicate and order food and you know, and understand things. So, yeah, I, I have retained a fair bit of it, actually, more than I thought, considering that I did first year uni in 1998, and that is the last time that I formally studied it. You are a dead set child. How can you have done first year uni in 1998? Oh, <laughs> see, I was just thinking how old I felt just saying that just then, just thinking, oh, my God. Yeah, no, I was the class of 97 for year 12. But I was quite young when I graduated school, though. So I was only mm. um, 16 when I finished school. So I was 17 in first year uni. Like I couldn't even drive when I was at uni, which was great, which was perfect actually because all of my friends could and I used to just make them drive me everywhere so that I could drink. (laughs) (laughs) Legally, of course. I don't think they like that so much, but it was fine for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is it for you as a journalist about the creative, about arts that you find so uh, such a passion in? Well, I mean, I think I've always been creative. You know, I think that that's um, being creative is something that I've always enjoyed. I've certainly always enjoyed writing. Um, It's something that I have done since I was very small. My mother is a writer. Um, She's she's published, you know, dozens of um, books for children and young adults. And I, you know, probably some of that is genetic then. I've picked that up. Um, So yeah, I've always enjoyed that. Not so much visual art. I've never really been gifted in in that way, unfortunately. Mm. Not very good at painting and things, but certainly drama, theatre, performance um, and writing. So I guess because that's something that I've always enjoyed and have been sort of good at I suppose I'm drawn to that in others um and uh you know so I love the theater I love going to shows at the theater I um uh, and I love uh you know books and reading and I love reading um you know other columnists and other writers and so I mean I guess that's probably why um because it's something that I sort of recognize in in myself perhaps what's your favorite show this year tv Oh, no, no, I was in, in relation to the theatre, oh, actually. Oh, theatre shows? 
Well, now that I've said that I love going to the theatre, I haven't actually seen that much professional work this year. One of the, one of the, like I have seen quite a bit of amateur work, which is not going to mean sure. anything to anyone out of, outside of South Australia. But one of the, um, one of my clients that I, I do publicity for is a, a local um, theatre group here, an amateur theatre group. Uh, and so I have seen quite a few of their plays. And I, there's something, like I've always just loved Amdram, you know, you call it Amdram. Mm-hmm. I've, I've always been drawn to it because I just think, People, uh, and I've been in a little bit of it myself, actually, but there's something about people who, you know, by day they're working in banks and schools and, (laughs) you know, in supermarkets or whatever they're doing or their mums and dads, whatever, and then at night, you know, they all get together in a community hall somewhere and and they pull out a script and start rehearsing and putting a show together. And, you know, for, for nothing more than just the love of it, and for you know, hopefully some applause on on opening night from the audience. And I just I just love it. I love that community spirit. So I have actually seen a fair bit of Amdram this year. Um, but favorite, favorite, I mean, I think you know I've mentioned TV before. I think I see a lot more television at the moment than I do theatre, unfortunately. Or maybe not, unfortunately. I mean, television's great. You love television. Very very much. Because what's pressing <laughs> your buttons television wise? Well, at the moment, I am obsessed, as is probably most of. The, the female population of the country with The Bachelor. Mm. Uh, I love The Bachelor. I mean, I love trash television uh, anyway. Um, I sort of draw the line at some of it. I've never really gotten on board with, like, the Real Housewives mm. um, franchise, for example. Um, but The Bachelor is one that I absolutely love. And I, even though I find it quite difficult to uh, balance with my feminist philosophies, <laughs> you sort of have to put, that on the shelf I think when you watch The Bachelor it's like eating ice cream or something it's like you know you just have to put that diet on the shelf when you want some ice cream so I'm certainly rec- loving The Bachelor yes. but I've just finished actually um, a series on now it was on Presto um, mm. I believe it's an HBO series but I might be wrong about that called Mr. Robot have you been watching uh, this USA one? Network series USA yes. yeah yeah so that's been on Presto so I've just finished watching that um, and I really enjoyed that yeah, no, it's it, a, a great summer hit coming out of uh, America and, and a real rebranding for USA Networks over there because they've really been in the back pocket of some pretty average reality stuff. So what stuff this does is, USA normally do? Oh, it's sort of it, the kinds of things we see in Australia on, on lifestyle. You know, it can be – I don't know. That, oh, okay. I don't think Honey Boo Boo is on USA, but that kind of fairly trashy, you know, reality – you know, my uncle's cousins married to his wife's cousins. Yeah, see, something. I've never, I've never gotten into that. Probably the closest that I've gotten into, gotten close to enjoying that type of show is like Wife Swap, and mm-hmm. I feel even embarrassed saying that I kind of t- enjoy Wife Swap occasionally. But I'm not. I mean, I think obviously we all know now that in 2015 reality TV, it's not reality, you know, a lot of it is scripted, it's set up. If it's not overtly scripted, it will be suggested, you know, scenes will be suggested, yep. that sort of thing. We know that it's edited to, to um, you know, have plot lines and characters and all that sort of thing. But, uh, but I still think that there is a divide within the reality TV genre between uh, shows like The Bachelor, for example, which you know are obviously scripted and edited to, to, to a degree, and then shows like Honey Boo Boo and... 
um, you know, and, and teen pregnancy or, I mean, whatever those stupid shows are, where you just know that whatever is coming out of a person's mouth on that show has been written down and put on a teleprompter or it's been rehearsed in advance. And I just feel like the more that I can tell that something is a script, the more I dislike it. <laughs> Like yes. I don't mind being being misled with a scripted show as long as it's still pretending that it's not. But but when it's when it's really obviously scripted, I just it just really puts me off and I can't get into it. Now we're recording this on the day of the third series of The Bachelor I Australia's know. finale. I'm so excited. Who's gonna win? Well, do you know, you shouldn't ask me because I am literally the worst at predicting who's going to win reality TV, TV shows. I never, ever pick the winner. And I thought actually that Sarah, who was booted out last night, was going to, was going to take home the final rose or the ring or whatever it's going to be. Um, but, look, so now we're left with two, Lana and Snajana. So obviously that there was an importance to Sam in that he have someone whose name ends with Anna. <laughs> Most yes. of my friends are predicting Snajana, who is the, the sort of gorgeous, regal-looking um, mother of one from Perth. But I sort of think because I think the rationale is, oh, he can't leave a woman like a mother at the altar, you know. He can't. He's, he's got to pick her because he can't take a mum who's got a nine-year-old daughter this far in the competition and then dump it. And I sort of think, well, you can if you're an idiot. And mm. uh, and so I think maybe he's going to opt for Lana. Lana, the now I, there's also Lana. I think is younger than him, so he's like 34. I think Snajana is 34 or 32 or something. And I don't know that he's is he. I mean. How much can you fall in love with someone over that amount of time to then go, yep, I want to take on not just you but also your daughter and become a stepfather to your daughter? I just don't see it. I think he's going to go for Lana. I have no opinion because ever since he got rid of Heather, life just oh, isn't you, worth Oh, your team, Heather. Very, very hard. Oh, no. Well, don't you think that Lana is just like a complete – carbon copy of Heather but just not quite as interesting? Oh, just take the carbon copy bit out, just not as interesting. Yeah. <laughs> just end of story. But as soon as she turned up, I mean, and I'm I'm positive that they knew what they were doing with this. You know, yes. as soon as she turned up on the first night, Lana, as the intruder, as they were calling her, they had dressed her in almost exactly the same thing that Heather had worn on the first night. So I think mm. clearly this was some sort of maybe Sam had filled out a form at some point early on that said, you know, sort of specified what his type was and, you know, they found Heather and Lana and thought bingo. Um, but, you know, they styled her to look exactly like her. Um, but certainly, yeah, she hasn't been as interesting, has she? Not at all. Who do you th how do you think The Bachelorette is going to go? Well, here's the thing. I'm looking forward to The Bachelorette just because it's, you know, it's The Bachelor Volume 2 um, mm. and I can't get enough of The Bachelor. And also <laughs> from, from experience of watching the American one, I think The Bachelorette is generally a lot funnier because the men, men who sign up for a show like this seem to be um, a, a particular type um, and they're ultra competitive, I think, and they mm -hmm. do the things that they do to get the attention of a woman are a lot funnier than things that women do on a show like this to get the attention of a man. So a woman on The Bachelor to get attention or to, to look appealing or whatever will just sort of do the, you know, they'll be very smiley and they'll wear a pretty gown and they'll do their hair nicely and they'll sort of smile and laugh in the right places and whatever. But, like, men go on The Bachelorette and they whip out a guitar and sing a song, like, here's a song I wrote for you, and they'll sing some horrible song or they'll, you know, they'll, they'll do a dance or they'll, 
they'll lift weights or something, you know, and it's it's just so funny because it's it sort of shows how men, well, at least these men, let's not all men, hashtag not all men, um, mm-hmm. have this idea of what's going to impress a woman, you know, what they need what they need to do that's going to make them stand out. So so with all of that, I'm looking forward to it, but I don't. I'm not sure that I'm entirely on board with Sam, our bachelorette, you know, the the um, unfortunate um, reject from last year. Mm. I, yeah, I don't know that I'm all that. I think she's a bit too genial. I think she's very smiley and very nice and very friendly. And I think the seasons of The Bachelorette that I have enjoyed, the American ones, you need someone who's been around a little bit who mm. is who's yes. not going to put up with nonsense and, you know, they've they've been around, they know exactly what they want, um, you know, maybe they've been burned a few times by blokes and they're over the nonsense and so I, I like that because those sorts of women, are, you know, are quick to shut down any kind of ridiculous plays for attention and I'm thinking from the ads it looks as if Sam is sort of playing into it a bit and being a bit too smiley and laughy and, you know, giving all the guys all the attention that they're looking for, whether they maybe they don't deserve it. What do you find attractive? <laughs> Speaking of the bachelorette and the bachelorette in a man? However you want to interpret that. Oh, well, I mean, I guess, well, I, I guess we'll talk about men considering we've just been talking about the bachelorette. Sure. Um, Oh, well, look, physically, <laughs> this is very early in the day to be talking this sort of thing. Uh, I'd have to say, and apologies to my wonderful partner, although he does look a bit like him, um, Joe Manginello from uh, Magic Mike. <laughs> yes. he, he is my imaginary boyfriend. He's my boyfriend in my head. Uh, he, yes, I quite enjoy him a lot. So, is he your whole pass? Beg, beg your pardon? Is he your free pass? I have a number of free passes, actually. <laughs> oh, gosh. Aren't you allowed to have three? I, I don't know the what rule. the number is. I can barely bring one to my mind. <laughs> really? Come on now. No, I'm serious. I can barely get one, and when I do, that changes on a whim. Well, okay, well, right now, if you, if you had to put it down right now, what, who would yours be? Gosh. I, I can't. This this sounds like a massive cop out. That but is a that is can't. a massive cop out. No, I've got a I've got a few actually. Hit us who? <laughs> well, so Joe is definitely at the top, but that's mm-hmm. mainly because you know my memory of him has been refreshed by seeing Magic Mike and XL <laughs> not that long ago. Um, yes. So he's pretty fantastic. I do also, as per my Twitter profile, have a bit of an unnatural fascination with Jack White, um, mm-hmm. formerly of the White Stripes. Um, I am just obsessed with him, um, you know, musically, looks-wise, everything. I have I have this horrible feeling that he's actually a bit of a douchebag, um, <laughs> but I don't because, you know, there's been a number of articles that sort of report some not very cool behaviour from him. Um, but, look, I, I try not to pay attention to, <laughs> to those because I'm in love with him. Um, who else? Jake Gyllenhaal. Mm. definitely uh, up there as a favourite. I just think he's pretty fantastic. They're all great physical traits and, and physical you know, I, I, situations as far as things to find attractive. What do you find attractive at, a, at an emotional layer? Um, Humour, number one. I'm very, I'm very attracted to anyone who can make me laugh. Um, you know, I think humour is just so important and I feel like I have, 
I have a fairly specific sense of humour as well. Mm-hmm. Um, although having said that, you know, I, I laugh so much, so it can't be. It's got to be a little bit broad, I suppose. The <laughs> things that I find funny. I'm all. I, I, a day wouldn't go by where I don't have a laughing fit about something generally. Um, but I, yeah, comedy is very important to me. I, I could not. I just absolutely could not um, spend any significant amount of time with someone who who does not make me laugh, who doesn't share the same sense of humour as me. And somebody who doesn't appreciate the same, uh, like, uh, comedy films and TV shows and things that I like. Like, for example, I think I don't think I could be even significant friends with someone who didn't completely love The Office, and I, the, the UK version, the, the Ricky mm-hmm. Gervais version. I feel like if you... There are so many people who say, oh, I couldn't watch that show because that David Brent character, you know, he's just, oh, he's so creepy or he's, he's such an idiot or he's, and I just think, no, oh, I can't be friends with you <laughs> because <laughs> for me that show is just, that's just I think one of the funniest things ever. It ever can made. be a great social filter sometimes, can't it? Well, it is for me. I, I feel like, and I don't think this is a great trait of mine, but I do feel like I'm, I'm a little bit brutal. When it comes to, when it comes to sort of sorting people when I meet them, you know, as to whether I I mm. like them or don't, I feel like I'm a little bit brutal and make a very quick judgment. Um, and quite often, I have to admit that that judgment turns out to be wrong. And later on, you know, when I actually get to know somebody properly, I, I change my mind about them. So it's it's definitely not a good a good trait. But I hmm. but um but I yeah I definitely do do that. I tend to sort of judge people very quickly about what they what the things that they find funny or you know, definitely that, yeah. What are you going to achieve in the next 12 months? Oh, my God. That's a, that's a really, wow. Um, what am I going to achieve? Well, I'd like to think, at the moment I sort of feel like I'm on a, um, in a bit of a balancing act, as I mentioned before, between mm. writing and, and, uh, and publicity. Um, and I feel like I have, without really ever setting out to do it, I have um, sorted out a, a pretty good stable of, of PR clients. Um, I'm not sure how much I want to grow that or, um, you know, I'm in a, a very good position where I get to choose who I'd like to work with um, at the moment, which is really good. So I think probably in the next 12 months something I would like to do more of is focus more on my writing. Um, something that I would really like to do and it's probably most definitely not going to happen in the next 12 months but uh, I would really love to write a book and I have been thinking about doing that for a long time. And it seems like in the right. last six months um, so many of my friends have started writing books, you know, because I'm <laughs> friends with so many sort of journos and creative people and it seems like not a week goes by that somebody on Facebook doesn't put up a status going, well, I just got a book deal or something. And, I just, and every <laughs> time I think... I should really do that. So, look, maybe I maybe I should start doing that in the next twelve months. Maybe that'll be my my focus. Maybe I should just crack on with it. Maybe you should. Mm. Petra, thank you so much. Firstly, apologies for mispronouncing your last name. That is that's, absolutely fine. That's my error. Thank you so much for the things that you have shared with us today. They're very special. Please know that you're highly valued, and and I really appreciate our time today. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Very clearly you are on Twitter. Are there any other social accounts you wish to admit to? 
Uh, <laughs> well, yes, you can find me on Facebook, um, same as my Twitter, so facebook.com slash petstar with a double R. Um, and uh, where else am I? I think I'm on SoundCloud, I'm on YouTube, but, you know, those, those two are the main ones. Hit me up on Twitter and Facebook and have a chat. This has been Humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that at Petstar is 